Hello, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Straight Talking English. My name's Catherine, I am your host as ever for today and I am going to be talking you through The Farmer's Bride by Charlotte Mew. I am a qualified English teacher, all my views are my own and I'm hoping I'll be able to help you understand this one a little bit more because there are so many layers and ways of reading this. Before I start, another content warning. Just for once, I would really, really, really like to read a poem without it being horribly dark. During this podcast, I will unfortunately end up making frequent references to rape and sexual violence. If that is something that you are sensitive to, then maybe skip this one or just dip in and out because I'll be reminding you of that warning before I say anything. Honest to gosh, I really wish I could avoid it, but all the revision notes I found do avoid it and don't get the main tension of the poem. So, Farmer's Bride, let's dive in. In Charlotte Mew, our poet, is born in 1869, dies in 1928. She is a very, very cool character, far, far ahead of her time. She's born in Bloomsbury in central London. First few years of her life are quite uneventful until she goes to, well, we call it sixth form now, but the end of school, in which she gets a crush on her head teacher and realises that she is gay. Bit of a problem since this would be around the year 1900, well, would be in the 1890s, where it was still considered a crime and incredibly scandalous. If you look at the picture of Charlotte Mew, which is in the anthology, and I'm going to put the same picture up as the image for this podcast, you can see she is wearing quite a dashing suit because Charlotte Mew enjoyed presenting as male. She preferred male pronouns and dressing in a very masculine fashion, even though she identified as female. Problem is, she could not get a girlfriend because it is indeed around the year, I'm guessing 1885-1890. So her whole life she was what was considered chastely lesbian. So she never had a partner, she never had a girlfriend, never had a wife, but had these attractions. I'm going to be coming back to this later because this actually is kind of important in the poem rather than just like my background scandal. Um, Her father died in 1898 and left no provision for the family so there's no will. She had several sisters but there was a problem in her family. Content warning again I am going to be mentioning suicide so feel free to skip about the next minute or two. In their family there was a history of what Charlotte herself called madness um, in which I believe two of her sisters and her mother completed suicide in various means. Charlotte decided that as a result she would never ever have children to avoid passing on this miscellaneous madness. We don't actually have a diagnosis that's relevant today because it was just described as madness. Not the most 
helpful. Unfortunately for Charlotte, she had one sister who she was incredibly close to, who completed suicide herself in 1928. Charlotte voluntarily entered what was called a sanatorium, or we would say committed herself to a mental institution. So she wasn't forced to be there, but she chose to be. And she, well, she completed suicide herself in a very Eva Smith way by drinking Lysol, by drinking disinfectant. If you go to a traditional barber shop, it's that blue stuff in the glass jar that people tell you not drink. It is a very sad story. Charlotte was diagnosed with something called neurasthenia, which is just like a really rubbishy, nothing diagnosis. It's naturally an illness. It means you have fatigue, depressive symptoms and headaches. So we can say that by the end of her life, she was not in a good state, bless her. However, she did have some very good friends. Well, I mean, good as in close. Like, to be honest, you could have picked better ones, really. Thomas Hardy, Mr. Misery, Mr. Neutral Tones, was her bestie. And because she was quite a shy person, he really helped her publish, get involved in poetry, really advocated for her. Virginia Woolf as well, fantastic author, also very, very much on Charlotte's team. I believe she only published one volume of poems before she died, and much like Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she was kind of forgotten until much later, until around the 1960s, first wave feminism, in which she kind of bounced back into fame. And I really like her, as a person because I think she was very unconventional. I think deciding not to have children, deciding to dress the way you want, deciding to love who you want, respect, respect for that. I mean, I've just had my hair cut into a pixie cut. No hairdresser will touch it. It's like, oh no, we're not trained to touch that one. I got misgendered as male because I have a short haircut. It's not even that short. So now I've taken to going to the barbers because they actually know what they're doing and honest to gosh the aggro I have in 2019 I can only imagine the horror horror that poor old Charlotte had to deal with 130 years ago and the reason I'm rambling on about her sad little life is because all these things are very important in understanding our poem there are so many different ways you can read this depending on who you're the most sympathetic to so we could have a narrative of a very nice kind, practical, hard-working farmer who's stuck with this mad wife who runs away chatting to rabbits. Or you could have this image of a predator and a frightened little girl. I'm going to be trying to offer both as much as I can, but I'm very much in the latter camp. Though it kind of depends, depends, I change my mind frequently on this one. We've got some nice regular stanzas, but there's something very cool about the structure that I'm going to mention at the end, because you don't notice it till the end. First stanza, we've got the characters introduced. It begins with this time reference. Three years ago, three summers since I chose a maid. Bit weird, even though they've been married for three years, there's no hint that she's actually behaving in a wifely manner, like she's not living with him, contributing to his life. Maid itself, it can literally mean an unmarried woman, but it also has these connotations, historical views that she is a virgin. It also means 
that she is quite young since people married young. And she is too young, maybe, according to the farmer. Oh, great. He has this regret, this realisation. Oh, maybe I messed up. She is too young for me. The idea of an age of consent is a very much a modern concept. So we don't know how young she is. We know she must be at least a teenager and she's a lot younger than the farmer. Bit weird. He chose her. Verb chose. Like she's in a supermarket. I'm choosing my dinner tonight. I'm choosing my fruit juice. I'm choosing a woman. The verb is immediately giving us a sense of the power, a sense of objectifying this woman. But more's to do at harvest time than Biden woo. Oh great. Already I'm not really feeling for this farmer. He had so much to do with harvest that he didn't really care. Just, well, you know what? I was busy. I had to get a girl. Bide is a verb. It means wait, be patient with your time. Woo is impress someone, make your state, make your status, make your intentions known, impress them. So actually he was too busy to do any of the nice things. And instead, I just kind of picked her and was like, okay then. With the Biden woo, and it comes up later, the dialect and the way that the man speaks is unconcealed. It's really obvious where he is from the words he's using. Actually, Charlotte's grandfather was a farmer, a proper, proper farmer on the Isle of Wight. So it's thought that she's using her experiences being in this rural setting to inform this character. Eh, oh dear. When comes out again, she runs away. But, Mm -hmm. pathetic fallacy, simile, just like the winter's day, she's just turned afraid. Everything's gone. Love and me and all things human, our triplet making her fears the most noticeable thing, the most noticeable part of this stanza. Poor old wife. We could argue that she's been teetering on the edge of madness. If you're being sympathetic to the farmer, she's kind of, mm, she's already on that way. We can argue that once the deal was sealed, as it were, she's realise what she's got herself into and she's like no I've got got to get out of here so it depends where you think the power is is she got the power because she's running away has he got the power because he's just kind of picked her out the harvest thing is interesting and I'll pause for a sec it's a motif that comes up this symbolism because in a harvest things ripen things are maturing you can collect them it's this idea that she's ready to be collected start of our natural imagery as well we start stanza two with some dialogue out among the sheep herbie use that dialect again isn't it and we've got this anonymous they that he's consulting with i'm thinking it's like the other villagers but we're not sure these other people external have noticed that there's an issue she should probably have been abed there's a sense of judgment like she should already have like she should be asleep by now but abed i mean it could also imply you know they should have had sex by now but she's still a maid we've got the dialogue instantly creating this really quick characterization of these horrible judgmental villagers but she wasn't actually asleep 
She wasn't lying awake either, and we've got the first hint that he might be watching her sleep. It's, I mean, it's that famous bit from Twilight, like, where he watches her sleep and it's romantic, but honestly, if I woke up and my partner was staring at me, I would have, I'd have words, I'd have a lot of words, some of them might be four-letter cuss words. We've got the first inkling of this image that she is constantly zoomorphized. It's like personification, but a human with an animal. That she is a little baby bunny. She's flying like a hare. She's a prey animal. Hares don't catch things. They are caught by big scary animals. So these anonymous villagers and her husband are the predators trying to catch this innocent baby bunny. To church town, well, do they literally mean a town with a church? It's plausible. But with the hint of this religious imagery, we could be having a link to, you know, till death do us part. Like, you're locked in by the vows they've made to the church. To church town, all in a shiver and a scare, we caught her, fetched her home at last and turned the key upon her fast. Fast could be secure locking her in fast could also be like quickly before she got out again again pause for a second very very popular book called Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte it is absolutely fabulous book and it's quite well known for this one aspect where a guy tells our heroine that he's free to marry but he has actually got his first wife chained up in the attic because she's insane and he says it's the best thing for her this would be well known to charlotte muse audience the same way that it's well known today to lovers of costume dramas and old literature so it is familiar we're immediately getting that like ambiguity did he do the right thing did he not she does the work about the house as well as most but like a mouse happy enough to chat and play with birds and rabbits and such as they so long as men folk keep away okay we have this innocence this sweetness we have oh you know she's happy enough but she's disconnected from the rest of society she's isolated We've got the villagers again. The women say, Oh, we're being judged from the outside, aren't we? But who is being judged? The girl? for being vulnerable you've got the we as well everyone's ganging up on her in the second stanza and now again she's being judged but is it the farmer being judged for not being a good husband or is it her for being weird you've got the deliberately italicized i've on line 26 27 28 29 he is being the big i am he is giving a sense of his own importance I've never heard her speak at all. Well, this idea that she should be, like, the only person that he speaks to. He should have possession of her views. It then gets a little bit tense. We've got the move. We've got the winter coming again. So it's kind of a whole year. He picked her up in harvest times, like August, e September. And it could be the same year, it could be three months later, or it could be a full year. I've heard it either way. He starts thinking about 
things dying. Winter is a natural time where things change, things die, and each of the natural elements is dark. He's already compared to in the last stanza to natural things which aren't fully mature. Young larch trees, sweet wild violets, baby bunny. None of those things are mature and it's already gone from immature to dying. He gets frustrated as well because she hasn't produced children yet. I mean, come on, step A, step B. If they haven't slept together, there aren't going to be children. But he's frustrated. He wants children and she's the one refusing him in his mind. Think about the change in tone as well. Maybe we've got a sense of foreshadowing that his patience is dying. Same as the use of sibilance and the stanza before as it creates a sense of whispering. Like he's not willing to share it. I want to focus a little bit on the last stanza because it is creepy. She sleeps up on the attic there alone. Poor maid. I mean, does he really feel sympathy for her? Is he sad? because she's alone. No, he's justifying what he's about to do to her. There's only a stair between us. Again, he's justifying. Content warning time switch off for a little bit. The implication is at the end, he's psyching himself up to rape her. Psyching himself up to force what has been denied to him in his mind. And we can tell this through the really quick change in sentence tone. Oh my god, the down. And this repetition is him unravelling. The brown, the brown, her eyes, her hair, her hair. Like his thoughts are just going crazy. Like, ah! It could be that he's fighting the urge to assault her. It could be that he has officially started assaulting her. And it's just really horrible towards the end. What's creepy, even more creepy, is the position that the speaker is in because he starts with three, what does he say? Three summers since I chose a maid. Okay, so he's in the future and he's looking back on this whole story. So it's this ambiguous ending. I mean, did, did something happen? The loss of control. It's very, very clear at the end. When I said I was going to mention about the structure, it starts becoming a couplet as they get closer together. So look from lines 30 to line 46. He, she, she, me. Brown sky, down lie, rhyme time, be, we. There stare down brown hair. It goes from not really rhyming at all. We've got some like half rhymes. So at the start, made, do, woo, afraid, human, day, woman, fay, away. It's kind of does it but at the end the couplets get so much closer as he's getting closer oh content warning again by the way the image of her in the wood would be familiar to a contemporary audience as well hardy's novel tess of the d'urbervilles feet i'm gonna warn you now it's the grimmest most depressing novel ever she walks off into the woods and a very distant relative rapes her. This image of a woman alone in the woods would call up echoes of that for Muse contemporary readers. An interesting way of looking at this poem is 
Mew could be the farmer. This sense that time is being wasted. His impatience, like I'm wasting time, I need to do this. It could link to her own hopelessness. It could be her frustration that she never found romantic love. And even though she decided she wasn't going to have children, maybe she did want them. Because the farmer has the frustration of not having children in his house. So that aspect of it could be related to her own life. It's also, and I haven't actually seen this anywhere else, so God forbid I might have actually had an original thought in my head. She is locking up the madness and the madness keeps trying to escape and she wants to control the quote-unquote madness inside herself. She also might be having kind of a conflict about her male and female sides. I mean, she chooses to be male presenting, but she is happy being female. Maybe there is maybe there is a conflict maybe there is a conflict I'm not quite sure I love this poem I really 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 love it I make absolutely no like no bones about it I love this one this one's podcast might be quite long while I'm rambling on it's written in a form a rhythm called iambic tetrameter which is a little bit similar to iambic pentameter but like not five beats it's creepy it's what the witches use in Macbeth to sound otherworldly so she is trying to create a bit of a a bit of a creepy creepy tone but who is creepy is it the farmer is it the girl she's already been called a fae which is a fairy so no one knows partners partners and friends who would be a good friend for this Porphyria's lover, absolutely. Creepy, male, female, possession. You got it. When we two-parted, yeah, absolutely. Go for a Byron because there's the distance, the pathetic fallacy. Neutral tones, yep. The colour, imagery and neutral tones goes perfectly with the Christmas bit in this poem. Anything that you might want to make a point about pain, death, I don't want to mean desire in necessarily like a sexual way, but longing to be with someone. Nature, any natural images. Yeah, love it. Woo! Charlotte Mew, time to Biden. Woo! If you're interested, all of her other poems about creepy outcasts too. Who doesn't enjoy that? So, I promise I will stop rambling in just a moment. We are going to have a Carol Ann Duffy special coming up. Uh, so, next time I speak to you, it is going to be War Photographer and Before You Were Mine. Woo! So exciting! It's not exciting. I blooming hate Carol Ann Duffy, so I'm just going to rip off that band-aid quite quickly. Straight Talking English on Twitter, str 8 Talk. English, feel free to drop me a line. Any comments, any suggestions, and you can see my really stupid reaction gifts I keep po- posting up. It's also a picture of my cat. WordPress, straighttalkingenglish.wordpress.com. And if you are listening to this on, I assume you're listening to this on one of the formats. So don't forget you can download on Sound, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thank you very, very much for your support. And stay tuned for an excellent, excellent Duffy Double Double Bill to keep your annotating going. <laughs>